0: And one of the ways you can understand the word gospel is that the goodness of the message really is related at least to a couple of things, who it applies to, and then what the news actually announces. And both of those things really matter. So for example, let me say something like this. Let's say I announced to you that everyone that invested $1,000 when Tesla issued its IPO in June of 2010 would have approximately $180,000 today. That's good news. But not for most of you. (laughs) Or for me, because I didn't do it. Or let's say I announce, everyone in the room, today, if you came to Redeemer today, you are entitled to a free cup of coffee when you leave. That's, I mean, coffee's good, amen? Get you through a Sunday. Our coffee is good. We're thankful for the people that brew it, but you're like, so what? It's a cup of coffee. I'd rather have the $170,000. Tomorrow, the UW Huskies are playing the Michigan Wolverines. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. I don't know if that was a groan of long. (laughs) That was something. College football championships are coming. That is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's not to everyone, though, or everyone in the same way. I got a buddy who is a Michigan State fan. So all he cares about is Michigan losing. He doesn't care if the University of Michigan, he doesn't care who beats him. He doesn't, care if it's, he doesn't care if it's the Huskies. He doesn't care if it's Alabama. He doesn't even care if it's the Oregon Ducks. He just wants to see him lose. My mother and father-in-law were, uh, they, they were Coug fans. They went to Wazoo. Go Cougs. Go. You don't want to out yourselves. So I understand. <laughs> I resonate with that. I get it. They'll sort of cheer for the Huskies, at least they're Washington, but they still will say go Cougs. And I got a buddy, part of our church actually, who flew down to Vegas back in December to go to the Pac-12 championship to watch the Huskies actually win, that they could get into the college playoffs. He flew down to New Orleans last week to watch the, this playoff game to, to see if the, the Huskies could win to get into the championships. If the Huskies win, if he hears the announcement that the Huskies have won the national championships, there, there will be a revival that will start in his life that will spill out, I pray, to the ends of the earth, to the glory of Christ. Some of you in this room can't wait till this illustration is done because you hate football and you could care less. The goodness of the news announced in these verses is so good because it's what every single person in this room needs most, without exception. The book of Romans has been used really powerfully in the history of the church. There's a number of very influential Christ followers that came to faith, actually, in the book of Romans. Uh, St. Augustine came to faith. John Wesley came to faith as he heard this book uh, preached and heard verses from this book expounded. Probably uh, no one more well-known or at least more impacted by the book of Romans than a German monk named Martin Luther. As a young man, he had a very deep sense of the holiness of God and his unholiness. This troubled him a lot. This keenly aware of, of how far short of God's glory he fell, the absolute otherness of God, and the judgment that he deserved. While he was coming home from law school, he was to be a law student, He's was coming home from his parents' house. He got caught in a thunderstorm, and the way he recounts it, a lightning bolt struck right next to him. And it just unnerved him, just realized that he was not ready to stand before a holy God. And so in that moment, he said, I'm leaving law, and I'm dedicating my life to becoming a monk, this incredible pursuit of of holiness. In his own words, he said this, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, (laughs) that's a great line, if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was i if i had kept on any longer i should have killed myself with vigils and prayers and other works he did it all he did he he, he by the labors of his hands but none of it worked no matter how hard he tried to, to feel right before a holy God, he just never did. And he kept laboring and laboring and laboring. And, and one day he finally opened up. just opened up to Romans chapter 1 down in verse 17 that, Lord willing, we'll will look at next week. And he just meditated on it day and night and day and night until the, the words, the righteous shall live by faith, came alive to him. That it wasn't his righteousness, it was the righteousness of another, it was the the trusting in the work of someone else on his behalf. And then here's what he says, when it finally clicked, this news, this declaration, not advice of what to do, not a task list to follow, he said this, he says, when I understood this text, the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through. What Luther came to find is that there is a way to paradise. There is a way to be declared righteous, to be in right standing before a holy God, but never because of anything we do. It's always the work of another. The righteous shall live by faith, trusting in Christ. That's news, not advice. Now, there are a number of important themes in... The book of Romans, there's church unity, and there's, there's mission, there's uh, the relationship of the law of God to non-Christians, the law of God to, to Christians, there's calls towards transformation, there's life in the spirit, there's declarations of a new creation coming and what it looks like to live in light of that. And if you're going to try to pick the most important word or idea or central theme, you, you might pick something like justification to be declared just before God. You could consider, if you look at Romans 1, and we won't look at all this now, but this rhetorical flow, you can just trust me or you can pre-read. But as you move towards 17, Paul is building this case and he's just, I am unashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. It doesn't matter who you are, for the righteous shall live by faith. I mean, he's moving towards this picture of saying, this is how we're made just. The, The word justification or related words are used close to 60 times. So that might be, if you're going to pick one central theme, that might be the theme, but let me offer to you maybe another one. There's actually another word that's actually used more than justification in the letter to the Romans, and its first uh, instance is found here in verse 3, concerning his son. Related to Jesus, or Jesus the Christ, or the Christ is used 85 times in Romans. Paul was obsessed with Jesus. Jesus. And this is crucial because if you go and look at all the main themes of Romans, all the benefits, everything good offered in this letter, it's all because of Jesus. It's his gospel, it's his righteousness. It's his resurrection power. It's his promise of a new creation. It's his spirit dwelling in those who believe that allow them and enable them to walk a new life. It's because of his sacrifice that we become heirs to God and co-heirs with him. It's because he, as his son, gave himself up that we become sons and daughters. It's he who fights our battles. It's he who promises to return. It's all because of him. Jesus is the key. See, the greatest news ever given is all about and because of Jesus. And you see this in these, these verses from verse two. In verse one, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So he's been promising this. This is something that's gonna come. And then listen to this phrase. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, this those, those, those verses we could spend, and this is why some preachers spend, you know, 387 sermons going through this, because we could just stop at every phrase. This is what we've been doing. If you've been around for Advent, the season, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been unpacking this every single week. The, the son of, of David, he's the, the long-awaited Savior King that was supposed to come. That he was born according to the flesh. That God became like us. That he wrapped himself in humanity to do what humans fail to do. We'll dive into that a bunch as we get to Romans 4. As we go through this, this letter, all these statements. The son of God. That he is God. That he is born of the flesh. That he became man in order to do what we couldn't do. To die in our place. And as this text says, rise from the dead is a validation. That in the work of Christ, death is being undone. That the curse of sin is being... Remedied, that the poison has been emptied into Christ and it's not left for anyone that trusts in him. We're gonna spend so much of Romans unpacking these, um, these first seven verses function as a sort of teaser to a movie. They give you an insight into what's coming. You hear so many of the themes in Romans in these seven verses, or it works like an abstract to a, to a dissertation or to an essay. It's those summary statements of this is what's about to come. But succinctly, what these verses are laying out is the gospel, the good news, the best news, the announcement that the long-awaited Savior has come, to come and do what we couldn't do, to save us, to rescue us, because he's spotless, he's holy, and he's the king. One of my favorite stories that, that I got to share this last year was from Reuben Torrey. He was a pastor and a preacher from the 19th century, but he was also a mountaineer. And he recounts this time, he's out um, ice climbing. They're climbing up an ice waterfall. And there's two teams of, of five men on this, this ice waterfall on this, this sheer cliffside he says as they're climbing, he looks over and he's in a, a line of five men roped together and over here are five men roped together and he, and he sees that the guy on the very bottom, as he tries to put his, his spikes into the ice wall, he, 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 it chips away and he loses his footing and the ice axe doesn't hold him and he begins to fall. And he watches him, he's standing there and he's, you know, he's clung to this wall and he's watching this happen next to him in the first Man falls and, and then the, the rope goes tight and the second can't hold on and begins to fall. They're plummeting down and the, the rope gets tight and the third one goes and, 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 and by this point the, the top climber, the strongest climber, the most experienced climber sees what's happening underneath him and so he does everything he can. He takes his ice axe and he puts it into the ice as strong as he can and he begins to brace himself. And he says he watched as the fourth climber now fell. He's pulled by this weight down. And then he said, what happened to this fifth climber who's on the very top as it's, it's the rope went down and it went taut. He just heard this loud crack. But it held. The rope's cutting into his skin. He's bleeding. His, it's pressing on his ribs. They're beginning to crack. All of the weight bearing down on this one that's on this wall. And if he lets go, everyone dies. But he was strong enough. And what he was able to do is help pull them all to safety. This man on the ice wall did for them what they could not do for themselves. I cannot think of a better way of talking about the gospel Than what Christ Christ did, what none of us could do, that we might be pulled to safety. Jesus, knowing our fate, chose to be born of flesh and tether himself to the rope. Jesus, like this climber, took all the weight of our folly and our sin. Its weight did, in fact, cause Christ to bleed. As he was scourged before the cross, as he was nailed to the tree, as the crown of thorns were pressed upon his brow. But more than bleed, he took the full weight of judgment on himself. He didn't just bleed, but he died. The weight of the holiness of God that Luther knew he could never perform himself to appease. And on that cross, he died under the weight of God's judgment, just judgment for our rebellion. And then he rose again, that he might pull us to safety. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is news, not advice. It's the best news. There's nothing in that for us to, to do other than one response that we'll see in a minute. Notice another phrase in verse 5 as this continues through and this, this really reinforces that this is all news, something that someone else has done. It says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Because he did it all, he gets all the glory. Because Christ did it all, he gets all of the praise. He's the one who did it. You know, think again about the story of these ice climbers. There's no one on that rope that held on. There was no one on that wall that saved anyone else. In fact, as each subsequent person failed, they made it harder for the one on top to hold on. None of the climbers that reached safety could take the credit. You know, think about it. They went home to their families and their friends, and they recounted what happened. How was it? None None of them could say, well, I climbed really well. I'm here because... I held on where everyone else failed. All they can say is, I was doomed. But I was saved. Anyone in this room that is a Christian, that is right before God, all you can say is, I was doomed. But there's one that saved me. The good news is this good because Jesus is this great. Another word that will show up frequently in Romans that also strengthens this idea of news and not advice is found in verse five. In verse seven, it's this wonderful word, grace. This unmerited favor, this generosity given that isn't earned. In verse seven, it's used as the result uh, or, the, or the, 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 the gospel for all. In verse five, it's, it's used as a grace of God given to Paul to make him an authoritative messenger in order to tell people about grace. He says, I've been set apart through whom we have received grace and apostleship. I've been given grace to be an apostle, to be a messenger. Why? To bring about the obedience of the faith. God's grace, again, it's news, not advice. And then the grace-given response to that is this. It's this response of faith. That's what you do with news. You believe it. When you believe in it, it's like you're, you're, you're tethered up to Christ on the rope. It's like you're placed in that spot of safety because of the work of another. There's even more going on to the phrase, though, than to bring about the obedience of the faith, than just saving faith. It also means, as some translations state, the obedience that comes from faith. See, this response to what God has done, it it has two usages in Romans. And here we actually get maybe a summary statement of what you'll see as you go through this book. The declaration that none of us could do it, but one has done it for us. And so we believe in him. And then that belief in him, what it does is it starts to change us. And back and forth as you go through Romans, and I was going to give you a quick overview I won't today, but you go back through these chapters and what you hear is like, we have all fallen short, but there's one who didn't. Trust in him. And as you trust in him, guess what? Your life is transformed increasingly. And as you fail, you go back to him and you trust in him. And then as you trust in him, he begins to change you. You begin to look more like him. The good news is that good. It doesn't just save us. It begins to change us. We're remolded into the image that we were made for. we might ask, who? Who is this saving grace for? Again, I think this emphasizes that it's news, not advice. It's not for the well put together and for the good performers and for the upright. It's for all. We see it in verse 5, this all the nations. We see it in verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. We see it in verse 7, all those in Rome. In short, who's this for? Anyone. It's for you. It's for you if you'll hear it. It's for you. If you'll hear it. You might be like, anyone? Really? Anyone? Look at who... Wrote this letter. Let's consider for a second who wrote this letter. Many of us have, have heard of, of Paul, and we've heard even him framed as Saint Paul. Wrote 13 of the letters of the New Testament out of 27. That's a pretty high percentage. Wrote Romans, one of the greatest theological treaties in the history of the church. But you got to remember, Paul wasn't always Paul. He used to go by the name Saul, and he hated Jesus he was more violently opposed to Christ than almost anyone else in human history. He zealously opposed Jesus. He was brilliant. He was academic. He was tirelessly working, and he used all of those skills against Jesus and against his people, so much so that he went around rallying up Christians to have them either killed or thrown into prison. That's who Paul is. That's the junk in the rearview mirror of his life. And yet God grabbed him. Because it's news, not advice. It's not a performance, it's his grace. For me, every time I think of Paul, I'm just so deeply encouraged. This means that Jesus is offered to everyone and can save anyone. Your your track records, my track records, the skeletons in our closets, our past, our present, our futures, are no match for the grace of God. His mercy is more. Whoever you are, whatever you've done. This news is offered to you. And if you've believed it, believe it again today. Whoever you are, and whatever you've done. I'll give you one other way that this is really encouraging to me. It's not just for, for me or, or, or for you, it's also for my one more. So, in our church about a year ago, we started using this phrase, one more. Um, this desire that God would just give one more, that those who are far from God but close to us, that God would go after them like he tells us that he goes after the one that's lost. He just goes and pursues until he finds. And so we started using this language, and I, I have my one more. I have my, the name and this little card that we, we worked on together. I have it in my backpack, and I feel it regularly when I reach in to grab my iPad or I grab something else out, and I feel it, and I just keep thinking there's no way this person's gonna come to faith. They just seem so far from God. And then I read Romans, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, former persecutor of the church. And I go, God can save anyone. The good news is that good because Jesus is that great. The greatest news ever given. Verse seven, the greatest reason for the greatest news ever given. I want you to notice what verse 7, as we go down to this verse, doesn't say. To all those in Rome who love God and act like saints. It's not what verse 7 says. It doesn't say to all those in Rome who love God and act like saints. It actually says this, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Or more literally, to all those who are beloved by God and called saints. The emphasis in order is really important. And it actually reinforces the goodness of this news because it isn't advice. This is good news that's grounded in the love of God, not our lovability. That God loved. And so he did this. You know, this isn't a new idea. This is uh, perhaps one of the most famous verses at any sort of sporting event, you know, just to bring football back in. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, just faith, will not perish, but have everlasting life. This phrase, loved by God, is such a deep ground to the saving grace of Christ. Now, think about the power of love. A- Angela Cavello, um, is a mom who saved her son with super mom strength. I always love as like a kid. When I was a kid, you know, we didn't have the internet, and so we had all these like, you know, urban myths and legends, you hear about some mom who who like, you know, lifted a, a bison off of her child. I don't know why the bison was on her child, but it was. They were at Yellowstone, and they were walking where they weren't supposed to be, and the bison fell. And so, just lifts the bison, right? But Angela <laughs> Cavello saved her son's life in 1982. It was in April, Tony was working on his car in some driveway in Georgia, and the jack gave out, car crushed him, fell on him. He's laying there unconscious, his mom sees it, she comes out and she deadlifts the Buick. Just holds it there until someone can come and pull her son out. Or how about this mom and daughter I read about recently, they were surfing in Florida and a shark attacked And before the shark could drag her daughter off into the abyss, she says, no way the shark is going to take my daughter. She starts wrestling the shark, snatches her child from the jaws of the shark. Or this story from Mississippi, April 2010. There's a massive tornado raging, and it's bearing down on the home of 30-year-old Nikki Carpenter, mother of three young sons. They didn't have a place to hide that was adequate for the type of this uh, type of storm or the degree of the storm and so she gathered them in as much of the center of the house as she could and she grabbed a mattress and she lays this mattress over her sons and then she just puts all of her weight on top of it and she holds on and this tornado rips through and destroys the home and she gave her life to save her sons each of those stories has one thing in common. It's an act of love. Every single one they were loved by someone. Don't mer- miss verse 7. This is a remarkable phrase, those who are loved. By God, you are you're loved. It seems like such a small simple thing, but it is pow- powerful. You are loved. You are loved by God. He has marked you out. has pursued you. And right now he is pursuing you. You are loved by God. That, see, that's the ground. That's the engine. That's the glue. That's the strength. That's the resolve to do the heavy lifting of wearing our sin upon a cross. Of wrestling us out of the jaws of the enemy of laying down his life as a shield of protection that we might be saved. He wraps us in his righteousness and becomes our sin that we might be free. Why? Loved. The good news is this good because Jesus is this grace. It's all news. Not advice. Great news. To the glory of his name. And as this text ends, that we might have peace. Let's pray. Father, what a... Grant us the, the, the gift of faith. And where we believe, help us believe more. Help us to take into this new year... This good news that, that that knows no boundary markers. It, it doesn't there's no place it stops, but can touch every every little inch of our lives, our pasts, our histories, our futures. It doesn't just deal with the the junk, it doesn't just deal with our, our sin, but it also sets us free to to a new life and one day a new creation. All these things that we'll get into in the study of Romans. But for today, would you just make your news loud? Make the ransom that Christ has given real. Make the need for his righteousness felt. Make our inability tangible to us. That it's not us, but Christ. We ask all these things for our peace, because of your love, and for the fame of his name amongst all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.